We are so thankful you are here tonight. God bless each and every one of you. I want to, you. Uh, we're going to continue our, our lesson series on the fruit of the Spirit tonight. And we're going to be talking about the fruit of long suffering. Amen. We're going to try to, we're going to try to refrain from making this exhibit A. We don't want this to be a long suffering session for you. So we are, we're going to simply uh, teach about it instead of really demonstrate it. But uh, we're looking forward to the word of the Lord. I do want to just uh, come up behind what uh, Brother Tierney has already mentioned and just uh, just lend my voice to it. We're looking forward to uh, Friday night. The 2020 Ministries is a powerful ministry. It's been going on uh, for some years now. Sister Kim Heath has done a spectacular job of ministering to young people who are in uh, need of salvation and in need of a touch of God in their life. And she has taken the gospel to them uh, regularly through the years. And uh, we want to spotlight this and invite more people to be involved and be a part. And so we are looking forward to Friday night. There's going to be a wonderful service at 2020. And uh, this is a ministry uh, to young people who have had challenges in their life. And, uh, and we believe that God's going to turn it all around for them. Hallelujah. How many thank God that he turned it around for you? Amen. Amen. And if you were to go around and take a poll of people and ask them, when did they begin serving the Lord? Uh, it would be very surprised, perhaps or maybe not surprised, but so many people began to serve the Lord in their youth. It's a vital age, youth, where people make lifetime decisions. And it's important because, listen, the devil is vying for their attention. The world is lobbying them to go the way of the world. But thank God the church has to be there at those intersections of life and meet them at those crossroads. And so... Uh, we want to look forward to this and, and are excited about all that the Lord will do. I believe it's going to. I believe it's going to be a revival that breaks out among the young people uh, there at 2020 in Jesus' name. And also, noon prayer has just been wonderful—a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And we're just going to we're just going to keep at it in Jesus' name. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. It makes a difference in the life of the individual. It makes a difference in the church. It makes a difference in the community where we're serving. And so we want to continue to pray unto the Lord. So we thank God for that. Uh, we're speaking tonight about long-suffering. This lesson series has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. I, uh, I, I think that there's not enough teaching uh, about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I like to talk a lot about it because I believe that it's imperative that the church bear fruit and that that fruit be defined, and that fruit be understood. Uh, sometimes when we talk about being fruitful or bearing fruit, sometimes we think that has to do with our success or our accomplishments or our achievements. And some people look back over their lives and, and think maybe they haven't borne fruit. But Jesus isn't talking about accomplishments and achievements and success. He's... Speaking of fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit that we are to bear. And we understand from Galatians chapter 5 what the fruit of the Spirit is. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are the things that grow in the child of God when the seed, which is the Word of God, is placed in their heart and watered properly through prayer and cultivation and abiding in Jesus Christ. Prayer and continually reading the Word of God, continually applying the Word of God to our lives, worshiping God, being faithful to the house of God, being diligent about your father's business. These are ways that the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow in your life. And by fruit, we go by the biblical definition of the word fruit, which is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So we thank God for the fruit of the Spirit that can abound in our lives. Amen. So we we want, to, we want to just recap really quick. Love, the love of God is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not your love, not my love, but it is the love of God. And that's a different kind of love. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I won't go through 1 Corinthians 13 because we're not talking about love tonight. We're talking about long-suffering. But 1 Corinthians 13 will convict you. You'll look at 1 Corinthians 13 and see how far you are from really demonstrating that kind of love. And, and the same goes for me. Whenever I think that I am, I am just, you know, I got it nailed down, have it down pat, I just go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and see all over again how far I am from really practicing the love of God. We know that when, when it says that, that the love of God is not, uh, is, is, is kind and that the love of God is not easily offended and that the love of God is not puffed up and it doesn't vaunt itself. Man, I got a long way to go to be like my Lord. And we have to take inventory of what the Word of God tells us concerning the love of God. Then there's joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength and that joy that is your strength grows inside of you. That is the joy of God is when all God's children come home and gather together. So the joy that grows within the child of God is a heavenly awareness. That's the joy that grows within the child of God. And it gives you joy in the middle of your sorrow. And so somebody says, how is that possible? Somebody who doesn't have the Holy Ghost. Even somebody who does have the Holy Ghost may not find that to be the case. Well, that may be because, and that would be because, they're not stirring up the gift that is in them. And, and so you, sometimes you have to break up the fallow ground and disturb the seed. That's when the seed begins to grow. And joy will grow in you. And that joy is awareness of heaven. It is, it is heaven awareness. Hallelujah. And so peace. Peace is the wholeness of man. It is, it is God bringing peace to the to the to the person, which is their body, soul, and spirit. He brings into alignment your body, your soul, and your spirit through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. If you look at Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38 addresses the dysfunction of the body, the soul, and the spirit. When we repent of our sins, that is, the, that is, the, that is reconciliation with God who breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul repentance deals with the soul when we're baptized into the name of Jesus Christ we are physically immersed in water 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is our baptism into God Almighty, who is not only the Father, but He's also the Son of the living God. Same God, one person, one God, Father and Son. And we're baptized into Him whose name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's our body that's baptized into Him. And then we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And, and that peace of God begins to settle upon you. And if you be in Christ and Christ be in you, if you abide in Christ and His words abide in you. And don't just get your favorite verse and camp out there and never go any further into the word of the Lord. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is why it's imperative, imperative upon the pulpit, if you please, to declare the whole counsel of God. We don't get to pick our favorites and talk about those things. we got to deal with the hard stuff, which is why we have to talk about long-suffering. Long-suffering is something that is key. Now, I preach a message called the forgotten fruit of the Spirit. The Lord gave this to me, and I'm thankful that He did because it helped to make sense, if you want to call it that of one of the more complicated principles of the Scripture. And that is, there is suffering in our world, and there is suffering in the lives of people. It's just a reality, folks. You have experienced it yourself. Suffering. Suffering. People who suffer. And so often the question is posed, why do people have to suffer? And uh, I had that question, as I'm sure you have, and as so many others have. And I, I did and have learned and, and, and remain in a learning position. You, know, you need to be a lifelong learner. Even if you learned something from the Lord, you're going to learn it again. And again. And you're going to learn new stuff about it. And you're going to relearn stuff you thought you knew. And found, you're going to find out you don't know it as well as you thought you knew it. And he's going to keep learning you until you really get it into your heart. And the way that you keep it in your heart is relearning it and relearning it and relearning it. And so the Lord taught me some things about suffering. And I just want to share those with you. First of all, we want to begin from the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. This is, of course, an amazing passage of Scripture that deals with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, you must understand, uh, was greatly used of the Lord. The first few verses of 2 Corinthians 12, he is describing an experience in God that is hard to describe. And he didn't even fully understand what all happened. He described going to the third heaven. He described having a conversation with a man above 14 years ago. And he said, whether in the body or out of the body, I have no idea. I can't tell you. All I know is I'm talking to this guy and I'm in the third heaven. And I'm understanding things I've never understood before. Paul understood mysteries and he declared those mysteries. And those mysteries that he declared were confirmed by what the prophets had spoken in the Old Testament. He gave New Testament revelation to what the prophets had prophesied in the Old Testament. And he received it by his exposure to the Lord. And 
So, one of the, for instance, you, you'll see in the writings of Paul, for instance, the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, we just, we just dance across that and then tell, us what he, tell you what he said. He talked about the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. He talked about uh, in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. He talked about this corruptible must put on incorruption, mortal put on immortality. And death is swallowed up in victory. He's quoting Isaiah and he's describing to you, I, hey, I know what Isaiah meant when he said that. We are going to rise from the dead. And he's explaining that to the, the church at Corinth. It was a mystery that God opened up to him that made sense of what the prophets had spoken in the Old Testament. He did it in the book of Ephesians when he talked to the church at Ephesus about uh, the mystery of husband and wife. He said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. And wives, submit yourselves, therefore, unto your husbands, even as unto the Lord. And he described this and explained, I'm showing you a mystery. I'm telling you about a mystery. This is a great mystery. And, and, and when you look at the marriage relationship, listen, I'm going to tell you, this world knows it's a mystery. It is so mysterious to this world, they finally just threw their hands up and said, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. That's all there is to it. You know, some, some guy said, women, you can't live with them and you can't live without them. And so it's, it's a mystery to this world. They don't understand it and they know they don't understand it. And that's why so many relationships are broken up over and over and over. But the Bible does give understanding to the mystery. And the Apostle Paul is the one who gave the understanding because he had access into the presence of the Lord. And so, in having access to the presence of the Lord, we find now in 2 Corinthians 12, he explains to us that he had a little challenge. The challenge was he was gaining so much understanding, he was gaining so much revelation that there was a danger that existed that he could perhaps become egotistical. He could become arrogant. And so the Lord intervened. Verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And he explains that this thorn in the flesh was the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, one preacher looked at that and thought that that said to buffet me. And he thought, I can relate to that. That's how the devil attacks me too. That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's, a, it's an opposition to buffet me. And he said, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now listen to where he arrives at spiritually. Now he remember, he had asked three times. He didn't just get there overnight. The Apostle Paul didn't have this thorn in the flesh and feel it 
pierced to his innermost being and double over in emotional, physical, spiritual, mental pain, what financial pain, whatever it was. We don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. But whatever it was, he's doubled over in pain with it. And he asks God three times to remove it. So it's not like the Apostle Paul is pricked with this thorn and said, Oh, that's nothing. I'm fine. I'm good. Let's go preach in Asia. That's not how it worked. He struggled with this. He dealt with this. He, he tried his best to cope with this. And, and he asked God to please remove it from him. He said, I, God, three times he went to God. Now this guy, you got to understand, this guy knows how to pray. I mean, this guy has actually opened blind eyes and caused blind eyes. He knows how to pray. And, 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 and they, where we get the practice of, of anointing a prayer cloth and sending it out from this place to somebody who may be sick, that came from the ministry of Paul who had handkerchiefs and aprons, handkerchiefs that were taken from him, his body, and passed on to those who could not reach him. And so the Apostle Paul knows how to pray, and God simply would not answer his prayer request in the way Paul wanted him to. Instead of removing the thorn from his flesh, instead of removing the weakness, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to perfect my strength through this weakness in you. I'm going to perfect, I'm going to, see, you are the apostle that has taught grace. I'm going to show you not just the greatness of grace, but I'm going to show you the sufficiency of grace. And you, ladies and gentlemen, cannot know the sufficiency of grace until you come to a full understanding of the deficiency of flesh. It's when you arrive at the deficiency of flesh that God is then able to reveal to you the sufficiency of grace. So I know God's grace is great. And I know God's grace is amazing. But I'm going to have to go through some things to understand that God's grace is sufficient for me. And that His strength is made perfect in weakness. That's where His strength is made perfect. His strength is not made perfect in blessing. His strength is not made perfect. He's revealing to Paul, my strength is not made perfect in accolade or in times where things are good. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So this is why you do hear the Apostle Paul say something like he did in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know. I know because I learned it. Not because I was in the third heaven and it was spoken to me. I learned it. I, I know it because I learned it. I learned how to be abased, and I know how to abound. I know everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry at the same time. I'm going to tell you something. You, you can't just 
You can't just automatically make yourself full and hungry at the same time. You literally have to be full of the Holy Ghost and hungry for more all at the same time. Have you ever eaten a, a large lunch, walked into a, the next appointment, and somebody offers you something to eat, and you're like, I can't even look at that. I'm, I'm stuffed. I'm full. And that's the way that we are sometimes with the, with the Holy Ghost. We become so full, we become kind of fat and sassy, if you please. And we don't want any more. And, and you can't, listen, you can't get to the point where you're not hungry for God. Ah, you just cannot get there. You, you have to learn how to be full and to be hungry. Notice what he said. He said, I have learned how to abound and to suffer need. I know how to do these things. And then that's, that's what brought him to the understanding of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Amen. So, this 2 Corinthians 12 isn't something we like to talk about. We like to talk about when God answers the prayer. We like to talk about when the lame man gets up on his feet. We like to talk about when the man is let down from the ceiling and Jesus heals him, sick of the palsy, and he gets up off of his bed. We like to talk about Lazarus coming forth. We like, we like those kinds of things. But in the same Bible where a Red Sea parted, in the same Bible... Where Daniel was delivered out of a lion's den. In the same Bible where three Hebrew children were delivered out of a fiery furnace. In that same Bible, Paul had to deal with a thorn in the flesh. In that same Bible, Moses had to spend his whole ministry in the wilderness. He spent his entire ministry in the wilderness. And he listen, I'm not saying he was innocent. I mean, the man did create a problem for himself. He smote the rock when he should have spoken to it. There were times where, where Moses provoked the Lord and, and God said, Moses, you're a part of a generation that walked away from the land of promise and you're not going to be able to go in. I'm going to let you see it with your eyes, but you're not going to experience the land of promise on this earth. This is the guy that parted the Red Sea. You don't get to go into the land of promise. This is the guy that brought water out of a rock. You don't get to go into the land of promise. This is the guy who brought manna from heaven. You don't get to go into the land of promise. He healed bitter waters by placing the tree into them. You don't get to go into the land of promise. So I'm, I, my, what I want to illustrate to you in the name of the Lord is that there is a principle in the scriptures where there are times that we are called upon to go through circumstances that are long. Long. Months. Years. Decades. With no resolution on earth. And his grace is sufficient. Now listen. God, listen, God can answer prayer. God can step into a set of circumstances and pull you out. He can speak to the fish and say vomit Jonah out right now. God can move upon any set of circumstances. He can provide a coin out of a fish's mouth. We know that God can do it. But we also understand that there are times where there is long suffering. Now I have called this long suffering or pardon me the forgotten fruit of the spirit. 
because I was reading newer translations of the Bible, and you really have to be careful with newer translations. Newer translations can water it down. Now, if somebody reads from a newer translation, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm just saying I'm careful, and this is why I'm careful, because I need something to quote. And this is what I quote. And, and I just like the punch that comes from King James Version. It just says it in a way that I love, and it, it just speaks to me. If, you, if you're having trouble with the these and the thous and the thuses and the peradventures and the heretofores and the, and the henceforths, and you're not quite sure what that is uh, saying, you know, sometimes you can take like an amplified Bible or a new King James Version and read it in a modern vernacular, but use that as a commentary. I, I like to use it as a commentary to, to kind of help me with maybe a particular passage that, that I'm a little confused by in the Old English. Uh, but, but I love the King James. And, and one of the things that I, I gathered from uh, what was stated in some of the newer translations about the fruit of the Spirit, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And when I'm ready to see the word long-suffering, one translation after another had it listed as patience. And I thought, wow, now that's interesting. And this isn't the only time that some of the newer translations water it down. I remember reading Romans chapter 6 where it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? My good old trusty King James says, God forbid! Some of the newer translations would say, by no means. That's different. That kind of sounds like, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Be better if you wouldn't. But I like, I like the Bible just getting up in my grill and telling me, God forbid. Amen. Now, you got to be careful with that. I'm going to take a little side rail. you got to be careful. I remember I was, I was preaching a camp meeting in Arkansas, and a young lady wanted to ask about getting baptized. And she said, I'm just not sure. I see it. And I said, well, I said, let's go to the word of the Lord. I said, do you have your Bible with you? She pulled it out. She said, yes, I have it. I said, let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And she said, this is a, a new international version. I thought, oh, no. We're in trouble now. I said, well, let's just go to Acts chapter 10 and see what we're working with. I said, Acts chapter 10. And we go to Acts 10, and where the King James said, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, which we know his name. But King James says he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. We get to her Acts 10 in the NIV, and it was more plain. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I said, oh, I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy and paste that over into my King James. So you got to be careful. But, but I, I just thought, where's, where's the word long-suffering? Because patience, there is patience in long-suffering. But, but patience is not in and of itself long-suffering. Like, I've been patient at noon in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. And it borders on long-suffering, but it's not quite. I've, been, I, I've had plenty of good prayer meetings. Roll down the window. You ordered for an army up there? What's going on? God bless you. Patient, but I'm not suffering. 
Patience is not by itself suffering for a long period of time. This is what long-suffering means. Long-suffering means suffering for a long time. That's what long-suffering means. It means means suffering not just for a long time, for an indefinite period of time. You don't know when it's going to stop. You don't know if it's going to stop. And, and, and this is a fruit of the Holy Ghost that can grow within a person that says, literally causes them to say, Hallelujah, anyhow. It, it, it actually, it actually it, you're not just saying that. That's where you come to. That's where you arrive at. You say, I don't, you, this is what we say. We, 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 we put language around it. We've said, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. We say, I, I, don't, I don't know what's around the next bend, but I know God is in control. I know that God is in charge. And the apostle Paul said it like this. We know that all things work together for the good to them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. I'm telling you, suffering does something to the child of God. It is a perfecting power. And it does something that blessing cannot do. It does something that accolades from people cannot do. And I and I and I don't, I I don't, none of us look forward to long suffering. You gotta understand that. I mean, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit, and, and I like to call them the real fruit. And that God created what we call natural fruit to reflect real fruit. So love is like mango. And joy is like kiwi. And peace is like peach, because there's just one letter difference, the H and the E. And gentleness is like strawberries, and goodness is like watermelon, and meekness is like grapes, and temperance is like, you know, I don't know, blackberries, raspberries. But long-suffering is like the lemon of the fruit of the Spirit. Like, you don't just go up into the produce section and grab some lemon and start peeling it. Start taking off little slices. And, I mean, you might. I don't. I like the enamel on my teeth, and so I tend to not do that. And so we don't just like seek it out. I mean, we might squeeze a little into our iced tea. We might, we, might, we might not mind it in doses. But we're not just sinking our teeth into that thing. And that's the way long-suffering is. We don't just go look for suffering. But, but do you know what they call lemon? They call lemon a superfruit. Because it is loaded with antioxidants. Loaded with antioxidants. Like it is an immune system universe almost in and of itself it is full of antioxidants and 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 more so than other fruits and it fights it fights invisible viruses in in an amazing way and that's what suffering does suffering so cleanses the person when this when the suffering is done with christ you have to understand the bible says that we may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. 
That's an interesting way to say it. Not in the context of his suffering. That would have worked. Not in the, not in the, uh, you know, in the in in comparison to his sufferings. Those would have worked. But but there was really something being said here in the fellowship of his sufferings, because it is in suffering that you have fellowship with God. Now I'm just going to tell you, the Bible the Bible makes the point that no man hath seen God at any time. Israel always struggled with this. Why can't we see our God? I mean, you look over at the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Ammonites, and they all got all these really cool statues and idols that look amazing at these magnificent temples dedicated, and you can actually go in and see them, and our God's invisible. We want to see our God. And John even said, how can you say you love God whom you've not seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? The Bible deals with the fact that he's invisible. And that's the, that's the beauty of Jesus. That's the miracle of Jesus because he was the express image of the invisible God. And we seek and attain unto fellowship with God who we can't see with our natural eyes. And the greatest form of fellowship is when we suffer. I, I don't, listen, I'm teaching on it, but I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a master on this. I'm just going to tell you what I know from the scriptures. And, and there's some details and, and things that I don't understand. But I, I simply do know. I don't understand the ins and outs, but I do know there's something miraculous about when we suffer, we are closer to God. Now again, don't go peel that lemon and sink your teeth into it. You don't need to just go look for ways to suffer, but don't be scared when suffering comes because you're going to get close to God in a way you had never been close to God before. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, so let's continue into the word of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read uh, some scriptures here that deal with the fiery trial. Everybody say fiery trial. Man, that does not sound like fun at all. But that's what it is. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved. I love when, the, when they call us that. Beloved. You know what he's saying? He's saying you're loved by God. You're loved by me who's writing this epistle. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And are we all like that? I don't know why this is happening. I have no clue why this is going on. Sometimes we think we might. Sometimes we think we deserve it. Sometimes we think we brought it on ourselves. And you might have. In that case, repent. And open your heart up and say, God... Show me what I need to know. Help me to learn whatever I'm supposed to learn. Because I'm done with this course. I want to I graduate. Can I do like, what do they call it, clep? Can I clep out of this class? Can I take the LEAP program and just keep, you know, moving forward? Do I have to go to every single class and take every single exam? Are there any that I can just test out of? But he said, don't think it's strange. As though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. 
He literally is giving you a prescription for how to deal with your suffering. He is telling you this is how you deal with suffering. Rejoice. My Lord, that's why you need to walk into this house and throw open your praise unto God. Don't just do it here. Do it in your car too. Hallelujah. Throw open your praise unto God. I'm going to tell you something. There's no praiser like a praiser who's suffering. There's no worshiper like a worshiper who's going through some stuff right now. I'm going to tell you, that, that, that is a fiery trial kind of praise. And I'm going to tell you, it'll bring you out and it'll, it'll open up everybody's doors and loose everybody's bands. Like Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises in the prison. They could have thought, why is this happening to us? But instead, they knew what to do. They wrote, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He knew exactly what to do. He's the one that told us what to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What are we going to do, Silas? We're going to praise him. We're going to praise him right here. We're going to magnify his name. We're going to give him glory. And so in the middle of that prison, they praised him. Their bands came loose. Their doors flew open. Everybody's bands came loose. Everybody's doors came open. And that's what will happen when you begin to praise the Lord. The person down the row from you will begin to feel the liberty that you are demonstrating. So don't think it's strange, but rejoice. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad. See, we're talking about heaven. Remember, remember what heaven awareness is? Heaven awareness is joy. That's where our joy comes from is what, what's coming. It's coming from the knowledge we have of heaven. When his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Don't just skip over these words. Exceeding joy. Exceeding. Exceeding what? Exceeding the pain. Exceeding the sorrow. Exceeding the grief. Exceeding the frustration. Exceeding the betrayal exceeding the loss, exceeding joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the joy that grows in the child of God. It is an exceeding joy. It's a joy that exceeds everything else that is going on in your life. Oh, hallelujah. And he described, he described that that you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Verse 14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 5. We're going we're to jump around here. I'm, I'm hurrying along, but, but I want to make sure we get into the scriptures here and understand that we're able to verify what the word of the Lord says about suffering. Matthew chapter 5 and verse, let's just read these Beatitudes real quick. I read these at Brother Marcus Harper's funeral because Brother Marcus Harper taught us how to suffer with, with great faith in God. And he, he came to the house of the Lord faithfully and worshiped God diligently, prayed, prayed faithfully, and suffered through most of it. And, and so the Lord placed these scriptures on my heart. I just want to read them to you, and I want you to notice a commonality. Here's the commonality. On one hand, there's suffering. But he said those who are suffering are blessed. 
And this is why they're blessed. Because there's a reward coming in heaven. That's it. So here it is, Matthew 5 and 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, suffering. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, suffering. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Rejoice that you can be a peacemaker. Don't ever feel, don't ever, don't ever feel like, why do I always have to be the one who makes peace? Because you, you, you're, you're called of God to do that. Be the first one to ask for forgiveness. Be the, be the first one to bury the hatchet. Why you got to hatch it out anyway? <laughs> Lord have mercy. Too many Christians carrying around hatchets. You need to bury that in waters of baptism. And don't let the iron swim. Amen. Lord, Lord have mercy. You need to bury that hatchet. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, listen to this, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. There's that word again. Rejoice. And here it is again. Be exceeding glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. He didn't say, well, because you're going to get a raise next week probably. Now, you might. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We pray you do. But if you don't, great is your reward in heaven. I'm going to tell you, those are the kinds of people God can bless. Those who say whether the raise comes or not, I'm still going to praise him. Whether the promotion comes or not, I'm still going to worship him, serve him. That's who God really can bless. And God will bless you. For so persecuted, here it is, they, the prophets which were before you, you are not alone in your suffering. I know you feel like you are all alone. You are not alone in your suffering. Hebrews chapter 11. In this great faith chapter, isn't this the most wonderful chapter in the whole Bible? Along with several others, of course. But Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm not going read to read it all, but I'm going to read some highlights. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Here's a good one. Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed and went. By faith he sojourned, for he looked for a city that hath foundations. Through faith Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And, and, and it, it talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And then it describes them in a different way. And we're all shouting, rejoicing, you know, clapping. And, and then he says, these 
all died in faith. Not having received the promise. They were faithful and did not receive the promises that they lived for. Because the city Abraham was looking for was a city that had foundations, but whose builder and maker was God. It was a different kind of foundation. My Lord, have mercy. Abraham was looking beyond his life. He was looking beyond his flesh. And these all died in faith, not having received the promises. So yes, there are... There, there, this chapter contains some of the most miraculous ministries in the Word of God. But, but, but they died in faith and didn't receive the promises. But saw them afar off and were persuaded of them and they embraced them. Oh, I wish I could preach on seeing it, being persuaded of it, and embracing it. And confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And that's the problem with a lot of folks. They do not confess they are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They're trying to blend in with the systems of the earth. And you will... You will continually to think it's strange, the fiery trial, if you don't confess that you are a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, what did God bring you out of? Are you mindful of that country? Is that the country you owe allegiance to? If they had been mindful of that country, they would have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is an heavenly. See, that's where the fruit of the Spirit grow. They grow in the heavenlies. And that's what you have inside of you. You have the Holy Ghost. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of good intentions. It's not the fruit of, of, of willpower. It's not the fruit of great discipline. It's the fruit of the Holy Ghost. And where did the Holy Ghost come from? From heaven. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And he goes on. He writes some of the great verses of the scriptures over the next several verses in Hebrews 11. But I'm going to go to verse 1 of chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Witnesses that have been swallowed by whales. Witnesses that have gone through lion's dens. Witnesses who have gone through fiery furnaces. Witnesses who, 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 who were... Who, were fed by loaves and fishes, five and two, witnesses who saw Red Seas part, witnesses. You hear what I'm telling you? We are compassed about. Listen to, listen. You, you, I know you're going through some suffering because somebody talked bad about you. And I'm not trying to downplay it. Well, I guess I am a little bit. But I guess I'm talking to me too because I can think, oh God, I've been suffering, going through so much pain and turmoil, and I'm so spoiled, I have no clue what, what, what real suffering is. Look at what the Bible says about their suffering in verse 33. Verse 32, what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, who through faith wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Are you ready to hear what they went through? Their, their bad day they had? Who quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Because that's where strength is perfected, in weakness. Out of weakness were made strong. They waxed valiant in fight, 
turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others, others. He just talked about the great things that happened. That's all the good stuff. Here you go. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might have obtained a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, mountains, dens, caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, we don't have any excuse not to lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, hallelujah, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. They went through all of that knowing that in their life they wouldn't receive the promise, but they believed they would receive it in that beautiful, blessed city. Hallelujah. If you're, if you're waiting for this life to produce the bed of roses you've always wanted to lay down in, you're missing the point. This world is not our home. Listen, I believe God wants to prosper. I believe God wants to prosper. And I pray prosperity upon every child of God. I, I pray prosperity upon all of us in Jesus' name. But... Above all that, we pray the will of God. Because even the Son of Man had not where to lay his head. The foxes have dens. The birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It wasn't about this world. It wasn't about things that go good in this world. It was about he that endures to the end. Some of us want to get out of what we're involved in. Some of us are trying to escape our frustration, escape our pain, escape our turmoil, and God is trying to perfect strength in us. God is trying to make us heavenly. So I, I'm, I'm going to hasten along here. I know I've said that now two or three times, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to meaning it. I'm getting there. I really am. Because I want to I, I move on to the next fruit next time we have Bible study, but but... But hear what I'm telling you. When you get to heaven, the gold in heaven isn't like the gold on earth. It's not, it's not, it doesn't, it has, it has no color to it whatsoever. It is clear. The walls of the city, they are clear. The, the river of the water of life is clear as crystal. The Bible says they are transparent like glass. All of, you, you cannot see any kind of taint to it whatsoever it is it's it's completely translucent when you look at the street it's translucent when you look at the wall it's translucent when you look at the river it's translucent there's not a temple in that city the lamb is the light thereof and the lamb is in the midst of it there's not a sun there's not a moon it's the lamb everything is about the lamb 
So when the Bible said that he hath tried me, and I shall come forth as gold tried in the fire, that doesn't mean he's going to make you a nice little yellow gold bar. That's what he's going to turn you into. No, he is stripping all of the fleshly taint off of us. And by the time he's done, we will be translucent. In other words, with every fiery trial that I go through, each one, with each fiery trial that I go through, there's a little less Joel every time I come out of it. And it's going to keep happening like that. It's going to keep happening like that. And I can fight it. I can buck it. I can try my best to pre prevent it. But, but I need to stop doing that. And I need to submit to God. Let him have his way. Let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Know you not that tribulation worketh patience. Hallelujah. Let patience have her perfect work. So that, so that there's a little more Joel coming off with each fiery trial. And it's my, my attitude begins to change. And my demeanor begins to change. And, and each time I begin to lose a little bit more of my angst. And a little bit more of my, of my, of my uh, uh, stubbornness. And a little bit more of my resentment. It just it starts fading away until finally you don't even see Joel. God's desires for people to look at me and see right through me to the Lamb. That's it. That's it. Now, unfortunately, I'm not quite there yet. There's quite a bit of Joel still here. But I'm not going to think it's strange when the next fiery trial comes. I'm going to have to learn, and you're going to have to learn again how to how to be full and how to be hungry. How to be abased and how to abound. Hallelujah. How to suffer need. Learn in all states to be content. Thank you, Jesus. And this is my last scripture and then I'm going to close. I've gone too long and I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 49. But I just want to, I just want to say this to you. I want to share this with you. The Lord showed this to me. I'm probably going to preach it again, so... Probably shouldn't even go over it tonight, but I'm going to. Genesis 49, verse 22. Joseph was different than any of his brethren. Joseph was different than all of them. None of them suffered like Joseph suffered. It wasn't fair how that man suffered. He didn't deserve that. But the role that he played and the, and the, and the ministry that he had required the kind of suffering he was going to experience. When he had first had the dreams, he thought that meant one thing. God said, oh, man, to get there is an amazing journey and process, and you're going to have to let me strip you of Joseph. And if you notice, when the dream started, it was, it was all about Joseph. But after every fiery trial, there's a little more Joseph stripped off of the dream. And that's where God had to take him. He couldn't be used of God until his dreams stopped being about Joseph, and they started being about Jesus. God can't use us until our dreams stop being about us and start being about Him. And it's the fiery trial that strips our dreams of the selfishness. So, so, so when it's all said and done and Joseph has done the work that God has called him to do and he brings his brothers in and he creates a place 
for them to thrive and their families to thrive and he forgives them and they, and, and, and they have this relationship. I mean, it's an amazing miracle. It's a testimony of how, how forgiveness can abound. And Jacob is on his deathbed and he's blessing his sons and he's saying different things to different ones and it's powerful. And he goes to Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Zebulon and es- Issachar and Dan and Gad and Naphtali. And, and then he comes to Joseph. And I just want to read what he said about this man who suffered. And I want somebody who's suffering right now to hear what was said of Joseph. And in the name of Jesus, I pray you'll understand that this will be said of you one day. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Genesis 49, 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough. Even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him. The archers have shot at him and they've hated him. But his bow abode in strength. The arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Notice this. Even by the God of thy father who shall help thee. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And by the almighty who shall bless thee. And I want you to look at where these blessings will come from. Blessings of heaven above. You've got blessings coming from heaven. Blessings of the deep that lieth under. You have blessings that are so deep you can't even understand. These these are the blessings of suffering. The depth of suffering brings blessings you cannot comprehend. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. This has to do with your upbringing and the future of your family. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of thy progenitors. Jacob is telling Joseph, the blessings that I'm giving to you and that I'm I'm placing upon you right now are greater blessings than what Abraham or Isaac placed on me. And this is my favorite part. Listen to, listen to how far these blessings go. And this is, this is the blessing of the Lord upon those who suffer. I'm telling you, if you're suffering, rejoice. Because this is the kind of blessing that's coming your way. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hill. That's how far-reaching the Lord is going to bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you. Don't you quit in this season. Don't you give up in this turmoil. Don't you stop in the middle of this madness or sadness. But understand that the blessing is coming and they're going to come from heaven and they're going to come from the things that lie under the deep. You can't even see them. They're going to come from your upbringing. They're going to come upon your children of the womb. They're going to come from your father and from the progenitors and the blessing from your father is going to be even greater than that of the progenitors and it's going to be under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him. Here it is. That was separate from his brethren. That's why that's going to happen to you, Joseph. 
Because you were faithful even though you went through some of the most difficult circumstances anybody ever went through. None of these other brothers were separate by force from their own brethren. So if you have suffering in your life, rejoice. Rejoice. That doesn't make sense to the world, but the Holy Ghost in you bears witness of it. The Holy Ghost in you bears witness of it. I wonder if we could rejoice right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Go ahead and give him praise right now. Oh, bless his name, bless his name. Come on, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's going to bless you under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. He's going to bless you under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. My God, have mercy. Hallelujah. He's going to bless you in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, and the new earth. He's going to bless you and bless you under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. Don't be, don't be sad. Don't let your head hang low. His grace is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Oh, bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. Come on, I need some people who are suffering right now just to open up a praise unto God and say, Lord, I rejoice in you, the God of my salvation. Lord, I rejoice in you, the God of my salvation. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. When you're suffering, it's easy to become isolated. It's easy to withdraw. It's easy to, to just kind of try to revert into yourself. And I understand that. I know you don't do that. That's really the devil's trying to isolate you from the body of Christ. Don't let him do that to you. But if you need to be alone, don't just be alone. Be alone with God. Let God turn your isolation into solitude. Be alone with God. Get your Bible. Get your Bible. Get your Bible out. Open it up. Let the Lord lead you and guide you. Hallelujah. Let Him, let him give you a new psalm and a new proverb. Hallelujah. Let him give you something from the Apostle Paul who suffered and suffered and suffered. Oh, hallelujah. Let him teach you again. I'm cast down, but I'm not destroyed. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. Hallelujah. Come on, let him teach you all over again that you're going to make it, that you're going to make it. Woo! My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Let him teach you all over again that you're going to make it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're going to make it in Jesus' name. I don't say that to you generically. I say that to you under the unction of the Holy Ghost. You're going to make it if you hold on to God. You're going to make it if you hold on to God. You're going to make it if you pray and worship and seek God. And let the fruit of the Spirit grow in you. Love and joy and peace. And all of a sudden, you'll have this ability. You don't, even, you don't even know how it happened, but you'll have this ability to suffer for a really long period of time. And keep a good attitude, keep a good spirit, and keep loving and keep forgiving, and keep being humble. 
It's called long-suffering. It's a fruit of the Holy Ghost that is inside of you. It's the, it's, it's the Word growing. It's the Word growing in you. The Word is growing in you. Oh, hallelujah. I said the Word is growing in you. My God, have mercy. The Word didn't just come to excite you. It came to grow in you. It didn't just come to lift your spirits a little bit. It came to get down deep on the inside of you and begin to grow up as a tree of life. Hallelujah. That causes you to live forevermore. You know what? Some folks are going to come up and they're going to glean from the fruit of long suffering that grows from you. And they're going to be strengthened by the fact that you keep serving while suffering. You keep praising while suffering. You keep praying while suffering. You keep worshiping while suffering. Be not weary in well doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Come on, somebody. Give him the praise that he's worthy of right now. Give him the praise that he's worthy of right now.